Say, you stand up too much here. We're keeping you in shape. All right, you've got your Bible. I want to read out of Micah 3.5. I'm going to continue on the series, America at the Crossroads. America is indeed at the crossroads. Title today, Pillow Prophets and Pitiful People. Pillow Prophets and Pitiful People. Now I want you to, we're uh, at um, Micah chapter 3, verse 5. Powerful stuff. Micah speaking to Israel on their way down the sewer. He says, here is God's message to the prophets, the preachers who do what, everybody? Lie to my people. For as long as they're well paid and well fed, the prophets preach. Isn't life wonderful? Or as Jimmy Stewart would say, it's a wonderful life. Peace to all. And when do they preach these things? Notice when they're well paid and well fed. But if you don't pay up and jump on their bandwagon, they will curse you. Can you say with me, there's nothing new under the sun. All right, Father, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, that you're speaking to us, to your church, and you are speaking to America, though America primarily is not listening. We pray that, Lord, this message will bless us, go out over radio and bless many others, and we continue to pray for our country that you will turn it back, turn it back to its roots. And we thank you for it, Lord. Open our ears to hear you today in Jesus' name. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you better perk up and listen. You're going to remember this message. Now, I'm taking you on a series that I've called America at the Crossroads. And uh, we've looked at the spiritual roots of America. I've had pastors, several pastors, ask me for those notes. Uh, I've had people listening to that uh, message on YouTube. In case you didn't know, it's on YouTube. It is on YouTube. And um, because this is something that God is speaking in the perilous times in which we live. And we are living in perilous times. Now, last time we saw that God's chastening comes on a nation when corrupt politicians and compromising preachers and complacent people rule the land. We saw that Micah, I'm a little loud here, uh, am I? See, a little bit. All right. We saw that Micah was addressing those three. It's easy to remember because they all start with C. Corrupt politicians, compromising preachers, and complacent people. And he nailed all three of them. He focused on all three of them. And he did it, of course, in the prophetic spirit of love, but in firmness. And he said, there's a reason your land is sinking. There's a reason you're going down the tube. And here's the reason, says God. Not human opinion, but God. It's because of corrupt politicians, compromising preachers, and complacent people. Now, last time I looked at the corrupt politicians... And today I want to look at uh, the compromising preachers and the complacent people. You know, isn't it amazing? The Word of God addresses everything that matters to you and to me. God addresses social issues. He addresses spiritual issues. The way a nation goes is, is basically and fundamentally spiritual. If a nation is being blessed, there's a spiritual reason. If a nation, nation is being cursed, there's a spiritual reason. Now let's talk about the compromising preachers. He talks about them in the verse we just read. 
He says, here's the problem with the compromising preachers. The preachers were preaching to the offering plates and not to hearts. The preachers were all about money and not about the people. As long as the money flowed their way, here's what they did. They tickled the ears of the people by telling them what they wanted to hear. They tickled their ears by telling them that all was well when all was not well. Micah nails false prophets, as does Jeremiah and Isaiah. False speakers, false representatives of God. They were false teachers. They were what I want to call pillow prophets, preaching comfort and ease, ear ticklers that withheld the word of God from the people. Now, I don't know about you folks, but I have a hunger for the word of God. I want to hear the word of God. I don't want to hear somebody's opinions. I don't want to, I don't want to hear somebody's uh, 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 assumptions. I want to hear what saith the Lord. We need a clear word from God in our day. And I want you to understand, as I go into this message, it's going to be a strong message. We need strong messages. I'm not bashing the church, and I want you to know that today. I love the church. I have given my life to minister to the church. I have been a pastor for, over, for about 25 years, quarter of a century. I love God's people, and I love preachers. God only had one son, and he made him a preacher. So that puts a pretty good seal of approval on preaching. Now, what I am saying today is the same phenomenon that was eating away and corroding the land of Israel, the same phenomenon that Jeremiah was testifying against, is alive and well in our day. Preachers are straying from the Word of God. I'm talking about the preachers now, the teachers, the speakers, the orators, those who address a nation verbally, or who stand in the place of God and declare something to be God's will and God's Word. And I believe that in our day we're watching an apostasy away from the Word of God. Preachers are straying away from preaching the Word of God. And I'm talking about this one right here. I'm talking about what is in this book. The Bible says all about itself, all Scripture, all Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is given by the divine breath, the inspiration of God. And it's profitable. Every word, every verse, every principle, every theme, every story is profitable for living a righteous life. And I'm talking about preachers are straying from that. And I'm going to show you today why that matters to you and why that matters to your family and why that matters to our nation. In many quarters, and I'm talking about religious quarters, denominational quarters, church quarters, we become afraid of preaching the Scriptures in their fullness. There is an intimidation that has settled on the church. We are diluting the Word of God, and I'm going to tell you why, because we're afraid of offending people. We're diluting the Word of God because I don't want to step on somebody's toes. That's not of God. We shouldn't do that. God is a God of love. He's not a God of sloppy love, sloppy agape, or of greasy grace. Or we are not preaching the Word of God because we flat are filled with unbelief. And we don't believe it's the Word of God. But I think the primary problem in our day is the seductive lure of political correctness has brainwashed us into thinking that if we offend somebody, we're wrong. 
If we offend somebody, we're just not of God. If we offend somebody, we're insensitive and calloused and, and harsh. And we really need to be illumined so that we will not offend people. Because after all, if you're with it, you don't offend people in our day. You're tolerant of everything and anything. And as a result, I'm going to tell you right now, and I hope preachers are listening to me on the radio. As a result of that, the church has been muzzled from preaching the word with authority and power. And if you're muzzled from preaching the word with authority and power, you have no power. Conviction comes by the preaching of the word. Truth comes by the preaching of the word. We're afraid to call sin, sin. Right, right. Wrong, wrong. I heard the pastor of one of the largest churches in America say, we don't use the word sin. We don't use the word sin. Well, I don't know about you folks, but it was when the word sin was used when I heard the gospel that I realized I didn't just have personality hang-ups, I had a sin problem. You know, my dog this week got sprayed by a skunk. Bad news. I said, Ollie, I hope you've learned your lesson because I guarantee if you haven't, Next time, you're staying out all night long. I shampooed him and shampooed him. He went chasing after a skunk. Now, if I had been afflicted with political correctness, I would first of all have said to the people in my household who said, He stinketh. I would have said, Don't you say he stinks. You're going to offend him. He's just a dog. He chased a skunk. That's what dogs do. We can't call him one who chased a skunk, or we can't label him as somebody who smells bad. Ollie, you don't smell bad. It's okay, don't worry about it. Walk around and stink all the time. Drive us out of our own house. But we had to tell him the truth. Ollie, you stink. You got sprayed by a skunk. You have got to be washed of that. I'm going to tell you, church. <laughs> and I'll guarantee you, I don't think he's going to go near a skunk again because he hates baths. And I mean, he got scrubbed like nobody's business. They wouldn't let him back in the house till he was clean. Let me tell you something. God is telling you and me and our nation, you are in sin and the sin stinks. And if you don't call it sin, you're never going to be washed. You're never going to be cleansed. We're afraid to call wrong, wrong and right, right. We're even, we've become convinced that to hedge the truth so as not to offend is actually an act of love. I should hedge the truth so I don't offend you, and that's love. But your doctor doesn't feel that way when he finds cancer in your body. He tells you the truth. If he doesn't tell you the truth, you're not going to be made well. We need the truth. I'm glad God called my sin, sin, because then I had something to repent about. And I'm, you know, church, I'm stirred up, and I want you to hear me today. We've got to get back to the Bible. We can't be sucked into this political correct nonsense. God does not agree with this thing of not offending people. He doesn't feel that way at all. He told Jeremiah the prophet, listen to this, whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, lest I dismay you before them. Give them my entire message. Include every word. Don't mince words. Don't, don't, don't hedge. Tell the truth. Paul cautioned Timothy 
about this spirit of intimidation that has gripped the church and probably gripped you at some time this week. He said, I can't impress this on you too strongly. This is the Message Bible. Timothy, I can't impress this on you too strongly. God is looking over your shoulder. Christ himself is the judge with the final say on everyone, living and dead. He is about to break into the open with his rule. So proclaim the gospel with intensity. You don't say, well, you know, I just kind of think, uh, I think Jesus might save. I think, you know, he's one of many options. No. You say, you need to repent. You need to get your sin under the blood. There is no other cure, no other solution. You've got to come to Christ. He shed his blood for you. And I tell you that in love. Proclaim the gospel with intensity. I was watching Billy Graham last night on television, and he actually used the word hell. And he said, you can spend your eternal life in heaven or in hell. I miss you, Billy. We miss you, Billy. The preachers and the prophets in Micah's time were just the opposite. And that was the problem. And he's saying part of the reason your nation is going down is the preachers and the prophets are not preaching the word of God. They're tickling your ear. He said they were all about telling the folks what they wanted to hear. And, be, and telling them what they wanted to hear, they endangered their lives and they endanger their eternal souls. Tragically, they were after their money. Micah says so. Not their spiritual well-being. Micah didn't care about their money. He wanted them to repent and get right with God. But the false prophets, false teachers, were all about the money. You say, but Jeff, in our day, if you really share the word, you're going to offend people. You know, I'm going to be the first to admit to you. The Word of God often offends. It has offended me. It has offended you. Jesus was called the stone and the rock of offense. Sometimes when God brings His Word to you, your first reaction is to be offended. The Word of God will offend. But listen, God hasn't called me as a preacher or you as a Christian not to offend. He hasn't called us to tiptoe through the tulips of compromise. He's called us to be as truthful as somebody was truthful with us when we got saved. He has called us to lovingly, not obnoxiously, but lovingly share His Word with people and let the chips fall where the Holy Spirit takes them. I share the Word of God in love every week and I let the chips fall. I let the Holy Ghost take care of it. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit take care of this. Man, have I had feedback over this preaching lately. Strong. All the Old Testament prophets offended people. They were put in prison. They were put in stocks. Their lives were threatened. Whole nations were angry at the prophets. They offended, but they weren't worried about offending. Jesus offended people. People who Jesus had offended crucified him. John the Baptist was beheaded over somebody he offended. Eleven of the twelve disciples were martyred by people they'd offended for preaching the Word of God. Now, if Jesus died, gave his life, and risked everything to tell the truth, and so did John the Baptist, and so did the prophets, and we are his offspring, where does that leave us? Aren't we called Christians, little Christ? 
I'm not saying go try to offend people. I'm saying if you share the word of God, you will offend some people. And that's all right. The Bible says when you're persecuted for the truth, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of glory is resting upon you. I'd rather have the Spirit of glory resting on me than have the nod of approval from carnal men. Scripture says the Word of God can be sharper than a two-edged or a double-edged sword. It sheds light on people's sins. It reveals and exposes the true thoughts and motivations of the heart. Hebrews 4.16 The Word of God is like a divine x-ray machine. There is no book like this. There is no word like this. When you quote this word, there is a power behind it. The same power does not rest behind the Quran or the teachings of Buddha or the teachings of Confucius or any other writings. This is the God-breathed Word. And when it is shared with people, it is a double-edged sword. If you want to live in sin, it sticks you. If you want God's mercy, it heals you. Jeremiah said that God's Word was like a burning fire and a pounding hammer. When Stephen preached the Word of God to the religious leaders of his day, listen to what happened. It was so convicting. They were so convicted when they heard Stephen preaching the Word. It says, quote, they went wild, a rioting mob of catcalls and whistles and invective, yelling and hissing. The mob drowned him out. In full stampede, they dragged him out of town and pelted him with rocks until he died. And he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And a young man was standing there named Saul. And I believe that prayer from Stephen's mouth. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. And he prayed for their forgiveness and he forgave them. I believe that, that sealed Paul's fate. Because soon thereafter the Holy Spirit knocked him to the ground. And a voice said to him out of heaven, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You're kicking against me. Stop it. And all he could say is, what do you want me to do now, Lord Jesus Christ? If Stephen had not been willing to tell the truth and people be offended, Saul might never have been saved. It was Stephen's words and his spirit that brought the great apostle to the Lord Jesus Christ. But think of that, catcalls, whistles, stopping up their ears. The word was so convicting. But at the same time, the Word of God is a healer when His counsel is received. Can I just brag on the Word for a minute here today? Can I brag on the Word of God? Listen to this. David noted that God sent His Word and it healed the people. The Word of the Lord heals people. I mean, it may convict you at first, but then it loves on you. I mean, He sent His Word and His Word heal them. The healing of our lives begins with receiving God's Word to us. Beginning with, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That's the first word I heard, that whoever believes on Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And when I heard that word, it convicted me, but it also healed me. Because God's healing begins on the inside out. And He heals you. The Bible says God's Word is also a restorer of the soul. David prayed these words, restore me according to your word. The Word is a restorer. The Word is an encourager. 
Unless your law had been my delight, David said, I would have perished in my affliction. I know that feeling. You can feel like you're going down for the count. You can feel like you're on the mat and you're not getting back up again. Satan shouting in your ear, it's over for you. You're done. It's, it's over. It's finished. The curtain is falling on your life. But then there is something that moves inside of you that is supernatural. And it is the power of God's Holy Spirit who is a resurrector. And he uses the Word of God. And the Word of God says, though you are dead, yet you shall live. You will stand on your feet again by the power of the Word of God. That's why I'm not moved by circumstances around me because I know they do not dictate my life. What dictates my life is the Holy Spirit living inside of me and the power of, of God's Word. This Word raised me from the dead. This Word stood me on my feet again. This Word penetrated my life and gave me hope. This Word built my faith. This Word breathed life into me again. This Word gave me hope in a hopeless day. It's the Word of God. The Word is an encourager. And this is why preachers need to preach the Word. I don't want to know what you think. God didn't call you and anoint you to stand in front of us and tell us what you think. We want to know what saith the Lord. The Word preached unapologetically brings revival. David said, I'm afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Sometimes you need restoration in your soul. Sometimes you need revival on your soul. Your soul can bleed. It can scar. It can hurt. It can be wounded. It can crash. It's like a computer hard drive. Your soul. There are things written on your soul that need to be rewritten. You think you've deleted some of the things that happened in your past. You push delete, but the pain and the message is still on the hard drive of your soul. You need to go in and let God restore your soul. And only the Word of God can do that. But there are other times we just kind of get milk toast and mediocre and we're not on fire like we used to be. We used to pray every day. We used to be in church every time the doors open. We used to tell everything that moved that Jesus was the Savior. But what has happened now? You've gotten half dead. You're lukewarm. You, you don't feel the fire anymore. What is the answer? The answer is right here. His word, Jeremiah said, was like a fire shut up in my bones and I could not keep it in. The Word of God also brings joy to the heart. David wrote again, your testimonies, your word are the rejoicing of my heart. And again he testifies, the commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. I can't tell you how many times I've opened this word and begun to read. And the more I read, the more I feel joy rising up in my heart. This word is like medicine. This word has health in it. This word gives joy. If you can't lift your head up, you're so down, I'm telling you, there's an answer in the Word. The Word can do what, what man cannot do for you. Some people are depressed because they never have the Word. They're depressed because they never hear the Word. All they have is the input of the world. If all I had was the input of what comes over, that Babylon, babbling, babbling, stupid, wretched television 
that's gone straight to hell. There is no good thing in that deal. If that's all I had, I'd be walking around like this. Woe is me. I turn that sucker off, and I open up the Word. And the Word gives me, I tell you, I want to preach a little bit today. We are believers. And being believers, we've got another source. And I get into the Word of God, and the Word of God gives me hope in a dark day. The Word of God brings spiritual light to a darkened soul. The entrance of your words gives light, the psalmist said. Your word gives understanding to the simple. You can have an IQ in double digits and be wiser than somebody with a genius IQ if you get into the Word of God. The Word of God was like honey to the prophets, food to the hungry, water to the thirsty. The people, the Bible talks about at one time in Israel's history, it said the Word of God was rare in those days. And you know what condition you find the nation in when the Word of God was rare? They were going down the tube. The Word of God is more valuable than winning the lottery. David testified, I rejoice that your Word is one who finds great treasure. He also testified that God's Word was more to be desired than gold, more than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Many people lie down in satin sheets, yet they cannot sleep. Heath Ledger, the wealthy, handsome, charismatic actor who died so tragically we now know of an apparent drug overdose some months ago, lived in a $22,000 a month condo and enjoyed the admiration of the world. Handsome, dashing, the whole world at his feet, his whole future in front of him, bright. But he would get up night after night to wander the lonely streets of New York, tortured in his thoughts and unable to sleep. I wish I could have told him what David said. Great peace have those who love your word, and nothing trips them up. I could go on and on about the blessing of God and the blessing of His Word and what it will do for you if you hear it and you live what you hear. This is why the Word needs to be preached by preachers in all of its fullness, in all of its counsel, in all of its multifaceted splendor. We don't just need a few pet verses. I want to hear the Word of God. I want it to be taught. I want it to be preached. I want it to be read. I want to hear it because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. This is why it's got to be preached by preachers. It stings at first. The Word of God disturbs the comfortable and comforts the disturbed. It may require life changes at the outset, and it will. It may demand repentance, and it almost always does. But afterward, it brings health, wholeness, balance in living, and blessing to those who receive its counsel. Thank God for the Word. Here's the deal. Let me tell you the deal. God's a God of truth. God doesn't hedge. He doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't use confusing phrases or lead us along with empty promises. God shoots straight with clear, crisp language that is sometimes poetic but always to the point. 
And God has always called His preachers to do the same thing. We're called to be plain talkers that tell the truth about what God's Word actually says. People say to me all the time, they say, man, that really spoke to me. It was just put so simply. I could get up here and use big words. I'm not going to use big words. I don't need big words. God doesn't want to confuse people or impress people. God wants to speak to people. He wants to speak to their hearts, change their lives, speak to their soul, go down into their innermost, innermost, and change them. And it comes when you hear the Word of God. Peter said, you have been born again, not by corruptible seed, but by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. That's how you got saved. Now, I told you I was going to tell you why this matters to you and to your family and to your nation. Here's why. Because if there's mist in the pulpit, there's fog in the pews. When preachers and churches grow cool, the land freezes over. The Bible said, if my people, called by my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. The pulpit is the upholder of truth, not the spinner of spiritual cotton candy that tastes great but leaves you with a stomach ache. How many of you ever heard one of those messages? Tastes great going down, but oh, later. Oh, God said through Micah and other prophets in the Old Testament that pillow prophets and compromising preachers were one of the causes of the people living in darkness and that they helped bring God's chastening to the land. Paul warned the New Testament church of this very same thing. Listen to what Paul warned Timothy of. A time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. He said, watch out. And we've got preachers out there that tickle ears. You call them, they'll come. They're out there. Here's the principle. When men call to declare God's word, become ear-tickling, cotton candy, fluff peddlers, who compromise their calling for money or popularity, the people, you and me, are always the losers. Jeremiah writes these words. Oh, yes, I've had it with the prophets who preach the lies they dream up, spreading them all over the country, ruining the lives of my people with their cheap and reckless lies. He says, I never sent these prophets, never authorized a single one of them. They do nothing for the people, nothing. See, I know when I get ready to come up here and, and preach, I go to the Lord and I say, Lord, what are you saying out of your word? And that's all I've got to say to you because I know the word will benefit you. You're going to be benefited because you listen to the word today. It's going to benefit you. You may not be able to see it or be real aware of it, but right now your faith is being built. Your spirit is being spoken to. Wisdom is being deposited into your mind. You're receiving discernment and you're growing. Not by me, but by the Word. You're growing. We need a revival of Bible preaching. We need to hear the true counsel of God, undiluted, unpolluted, straightforward, and pure. If the pulpits throughout the land 
would shake off the shackles of intimidation and just open up the scriptures to God's people, spiritual revival would begin to turn back the darkness. I think one of the reasons we're in darkness is preachers have gotten intimidated. I want to say to preachers listening to me now, preach the Word of God. Don't be afraid of what people say. If it's in the Bible, preach it and don't be intimidated. Now finally, he points to complacent people, and he doesn't leave you and me, the people, out of this. In verse 11 of Micah 3, he addresses all three groups again. Corrupt politicians, compromising preachers, complacent people. All three. He says this, you politicians make decisions based on bribes. You preachers teach God's laws only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you're paid. And then he goes to the people, yet all of you people claim to depend on the Lord, saying no harm can come to us, for the Lord is here among us. Now according to God, the people of Israel also had a responsibility in all of this. The nation was sinking. The nation was going down. And he says it's the, it's the politicians, the preachers, and it's the complacent people. Now here was their attitude. We know the politicians are corrupt. Oh, yeah, they're always corrupt. Those dudes are always corrupt. We know the preachers are compromisers, but it's okay. The economy's booming. We're happy. I'm okay. You're okay. Is not the Lord among us? They said. No evil can touch us. They said. But the truth was, if they had seen in, with spiritual eyes... Israel was drowning in a false sense of security. In their minds, they were the special people of God. But unbeknownst to them, judgment was at the door. And it's the same with America today. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you the truth about America. There's nothing about America that exempts us from chastening. If God didn't withhold chastening His own people, His chosen people, Abraham's seed, he will not hesitate to chasten America. And church, we got to know that. If that bugs you, I'm sorry. But I, I want to pop your American bubble today. I want you to listen to what Peter said. Remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. I want you to know, folks, the minute you start thinking you're a favorite of God is the day you're cruising for a bruising. Because then you think you can get away with what other people can't get away with. you got to always wake up and say, I'm just like everybody else. There isn't anything special about me. If God's really blessing you, then you need to be just like that donkey that carried Jesus into Jerusalem. He was under no illusions that all the clapping and all the praising had to do with him. If you live right, God will bless you. If you live wrong, you're headed for trouble. It's a world of consequences, and that's the way that God made it. You can't come worship God on Sunday and live like the devil the rest of the week. You cannot do it. You will pay. 
I believe the greatest sin in America today is not illegal drugs, it's not alcohol, it's not abortion, and it's not rampant immorality. The greatest sin in America today is complacency. Now let me tell you what complacency is defined as. Self-satisfied and unaware of possible dangers. God is saying that when politicians and preachers go corrupt, He looks to the people. He looks to the people to raise a voice of protest. We are not to sit back and do nothing and say, oh, well, business as usual. Especially in light of the fact that in America, we the people have more power to bring change than Israel ever thought about. Because Israel was under a monarchy ruled by a king. And that king made all the decisions. Yet God expected the people to lift their voices when that king led the nation into corruption. He said, where are you people? We in America live in a democracy ruled by the people. And the democracy allows us to vote our conscience, vote our convictions, vote our faith, and for whomever we feel lines up most closely with scriptural truth. You're never going to get somebody perfect, but you can get somebody closer than someone else. The Bible makes it clear that God expects us to lift our voices over 4,000 babies that will die today. On any given day in America, 4,000 babies will be aborted any given day. Well, God doesn't really care about that. Yeah, He does. When Cain killed his brother Abel, who was innocent, God said to Cain, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Come on, man. And God said, his blood is crying to me from the ground. David was not allowed to build the temple because he had slain innocent blood, Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. When Judas sold Jesus out. He took that 30 pieces of silver and threw it back in the temple. And here's what he said. I have betrayed an innocent man. God expects you and I, especially in a democracy, to lift up our voice for those who cannot help themselves. He expects us to vote for people, most likely to fill the Supreme Court, to put people in the Supreme Court, who will decide cases based on the Constitution and Scripture, not their own leanings. And He expects us to vote for those who are most likely to lead our nation in a direction that would bring blessing on the land once again. And yet some Christians don't even vote. Let me give you a little truth. If you don't vote, don't complain. And you know the funny thing, it always gets me. Those who do vote, vote their pocketbook instead of morality. All we care about is the money. Some people go with a particular political party because they always have and their parents always did. One preacher said this, Some would vote for the devil if he was a Democrat or the Antichrist if he were a Republican. Why'd you vote for them? Because I've always been this party. God is telling us vote principle and not party. We need to vote for those who are as close to the Bible as we can get. Our nation has a Christian heritage. We have godly roots. And so did Israel and many other nations which God finally judged. The most effective thing we can do for our nation, and I'm telling you folks, hear me today, 
We're about to lose our nation. The church had better wake up, and I mean yesterday. I am so sick and tired of milk toast, go nowhere, lukewarm, jelly spine Christians who don't stand up for anything. I want you to hear me, church, and those of you listening by radio, hear me. The church better stand up. The church better speak up. The church better shake off the shackles of intimidation and stand up and say, let me tell you something, I'm not ashamed or afraid or embarrassed about the Word of God or the Lord Jesus Christ or any of those things. So, Pastor, you're, you're kind of worked up about this. I just can't even begin to tell you how worked up I am about this. You're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. I'm grieved in my heart. So Jesus said, turn the other cheek. He didn't tell you to turn your cheek. Let somebody beat on you, fool. He wasn't telling you if somebody hits you to say, oh, do it again. He was just talking about you not coming under the power of an offense. But the only reason the apostles turned the world upside down, or I should say right side up in their day, was because they went out and they preached Jesus. They preached Jesus in the face of all opposition. They didn't care what people thought. They were lions for God. And here we are, mice for God. It's time to wake up or lose it. It's time to wake up or watch it be taken away from us. It's time to wake up and use what you've got. What do you have? We sang about it. You've got the blood. What do you have? You've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What do you have? For every demon spirit, you've got three angels that did not fall. What do you have? You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're blessed in the storehouse and blessed in the field. Blessed in your going out and blessed in your coming in. What do you have? He has made you more than a conqueror through Jesus who loved you. He always leads you in triumph through Jesus Christ. What do you have? I'm saying put the gloves on and let's get after it and fight. The most effective thing we can do for our country in closing is repent of our complacency. Take action. Seek revival. Join and support a church where souls are saved and God's word is preached. Get behind it because that when we all come together, that's our strength. Hope for America is not in the White House, it's not in the State House, and it's not in the courthouse. It's in God's house, and it's in your house, and it's in my house. Can we stand together today? reading recently about George Whitfield, the great awakening preacher, preached in Benjamin Franklin's day. George Whitfield had a gifted voice and he was a natural born orator. 
he was so beautiful in the way that he spoke that the king and the queen of England called him to the court just to hear him preach. But he was invited when he was 19-ish, 20-ish. He was invited to preach in the church, the official church of England. And he stood up and he said, you must be born again. And he preached the gospel. They took him aside afterwards and said, you can't do that, George. That's not our message. And they kicked him out and banned him from the church. In this hour in England's history, it was dark. They would kill you if you were caught stealing an apple or cut your hand off. Children were being sold into slavery. Tons and tons of mothers were going into prostitution because there was no money. It looked like England was finished. And, but when they kicked Whitfield out of the church, he said, well, then I'll go to the fields. And so he went to a coal mine. And he spoke down into the hole of this coal mine. He said, I will be back at 2 o'clock to preach the gospel. And he walked away. Came back at 2 o'clock. There was a sea of coal blackened faces. And he just said, you must be born again. And in that beautiful eloquence, he preached the gospel. He said in his memoirs, little white rivulets were formed as the tears ran down their face as they received Christ. And the great awakening was born. It wasn't born on anything but preaching the word. And it shook England and it shook the early American colonies, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, shook them. Even Benjamin Franklin went to hear George Whitfield because he couldn't believe this man could be heard by 30,000 people with no audio help. And when he was in Boston, Benjamin Franklin got to the back of this gigantic crowd and could hear him. He had a voice like a bell, and he could hear him. They changed the world, church. But when he died, he was 57. He preached himself to death. He preached so hard he would walk away and throw up blood. They hit him in the head with rocks that bore scars the rest of his life. He was knocked unconscious and stood back up and preached again. He took it to the people. We better wake up. Well, what can I do, Pastor? Don't be embarrassed. Somebody says to you, why are you so weird? Jesus. No. Tell, just tell them, yeah, I'm a believer. And bring somebody to church. Bring somebody to church. Somebody brought you once. All right. Can we pray for our country right now? Let's lift our hands. Father, we ask you to return our country to its roots. Deliver us, Lord, from the evil that has wrapped its icy fingers around this nation. Lord, we bow our knee and we ask you to help us. 
Forgive the church for its complacency. Forgive us for being lukewarm or embarrassed of you or of your gospel. And Lord, forgive us for not speaking out when we could have and should have. Lord, we pray that revival visits America again and that you will do an absolute divine miracle and turn our land back. We thank you for it, Lord, and we believe you to do this. Now, can you take a minute, church, and pray and say, Lord, help America. Help America.